be reading Psalms 51, verses 7 through 12. Psalms 51, 7 through 12. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not the, thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me within thy free spirit. Good morning. We're going to continue our study. We've been looking at the seven churches of Asia, and I've looked at three of them that I think are very applicable. Every one of them is, but as you know, two of them had their act together. And it's uh, kind of hard to build a sermon off of a congregation like that. But we're going to comment on some of those later. This morning, we're going to look at this one. It's a hard, a difficult subject. It was already planned ahead of time. So I don't want anybody visiting or thinking that I'm preaching this specifically because of any problems here. But it is something that we as a church need to be understanding what the Bible says. The world is constantly telling us when it comes to matters of sexual sin, they want to redefine it, uh, reset it, tell us this is how it is. But we have God's truth. We have his word. And we want to go to the scriptures this morning and see what God has to say and what he says to the churches. And when we read throughout the scriptures here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you have seven churches of Asia who are given instruction by Christ. And Christ says, those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. In other words, when Christ loves us, he wants churches to get back on the right track. We want to learn from this church right here where we should be as Christians. So this is the church that tolerated sexual sin. Two weeks ago, we looked at the church of Ephesus there, and they're the ones that had abandoned their first love. This church almost is the opposite of that, and we're going to look at some details about it. So I want to look at this subject, and it ties into the passage that Garrett had just read for us, and we'll, we'll bring it together toward the end. But late one afternoon, a king was walking on his roof and saw a woman bathing. What story am I talking about? You know your Bible, you know this is King David. Instead of going out to battle like the other kings in the spring to go and face, he had certain plans. He sent out his general, his commander, Joab, to do the fighting for him. In fact, it's going to come to a point where Joab's going to say, listen, if I go on and finish this battle, it's going to be in my name. Come and finish it for yourself. But David here, he's up there on top of his house, standing on the roof, and he's looking around, and he sees a woman bathing. And we could tell from the text there that he lusts for her. He sends his servants for her, and he laid with her. Bathsheba became pregnant, and she sent this back to David, this message to him, so that David said to Joab, send Uriah back home, and Uriah came home. When he came home, David had him come in, and he talked to him and tried to send him to wash his feet down in his house, and Uriah wouldn't do it. He stayed at the king's gate. He said, why should I go live in my house when all the the armies of Israel are out in camp when the Ark of the Covenant is out and exposed when it's not in its place either. And so Uriah, being a good man, did not do that. Again, David had tried again. He got him intoxicated and said, go home, go be with your wife. 
and so that he could cover up his sin. But Uriah again sleeps at the gate. The third time, David sends orders to Joab, and he says, I want you to send him close into battle and withdraw the men and their protection from him. And David has him killed to cover up his sin. We look at this, and we see this man after God's own heart, and we look at David, and we look at his, this, this great sin that he committed, not just with Bathsheba, but is also in the murder of Uriah. We learn a lot from it. We see how precious it is, our integrity. We can see how one lapse of judgment and compromising of our integrity and our faith can change our whole life. In fact, for David, it's revealed to him by Nathan that his family is going to have a curse in it. His family is going to have problems because he has given up on his influence and his integrity. And today, sexual sins threaten the character of Christian men and women. And it did here in this church that we're going to look at this morning. From the very beginning, as far as the church goes back, the sin and struggle with sexual sin has been there. When we read in 1 Corinthians, we read about a church that struggled with this, a church that struggled with a man who took his father's wife and brought her into the church. And Paul wrote to him and said, I already made judgment about this man. You should withdraw from him, have no fellowship with him because of his sin. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul warns them, he says, listen, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Put away fornication, put away sexual sin. One day, the spirit that dwells within you will resurrect your body, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. Therefore, live a pure and holy life, he encourages them. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks to that church and he says, listen, if you're struggling with fornication, those that are should marry. And the Bible goes through in these details, instructing the church, instructing Christians about sexual matters, and it's something that we as a church must address ourselves. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, the Hebrew writer says about Christ. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows what it's like to be tempted. He's endured it, he's overcome it, and yet he is without sin. And for that matter, Hebrews 2 says that he is able to conquer the power of Satan. He has conquered death. He has conquered the death that comes from sin and the evil that comes from it. The writer here of Hebrews continues and says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to be clear with this message this morning. If you are in sin or if you practice any sin, not just the sexual sin that we'll be talking about here, you can repent, you can come to the throne of grace, you can receive God's mercy. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that as long as you walk in the light, the blood of Christ will wash away your sins. The Scriptures say that as long as you confess your sins to God, 1 John 1 and verse 9, again, Christ's blood will wash away all of your sins. We find mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. And yet, we receive a warning this morning as we read the Scripture about this church that sexual sins, as we've seen, have led many away from Christ. We've seen them leave the church. We've seen those who've said, I'm just not happy with my spouse anymore, divorce them for any reason and go and marry someone else. And Christ condemns this. He says, you cannot divorce for any reason except for fornication. We want to look at this. What God wants for His people is for us to be holy. And this word is often connected with us staying pure and away from the evil and sexual sins that are in this world. 1 Thessalonians 4 is a passage, excellent scripture about this. 
And here are some observations I take out of this text before we read it. God's will is for his people to be holy. And what does he mean by that? He wants us to be sanctified. Sanctification means that we're made pure, that we are set apart from the rest of the world, that we don't do what the rest of the world does, that when we are holy, we put away fornication, which is extramarital sex. Right there, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. God's will is for each Christian to control one's body in holiness and honor. And God has called Christians to holiness away from any impurity. Throughout your Bible, you read this word impurity. If you have the English standard, if you have New King James, I think it uses the word uncleanness. I'm not sure what the other translations, what words they use. But it's the same idea connected with filthy thoughts, lust, sin that are connected in that area that we want to make sure that we have put away. Those who reject holiness do not reject men. This is what Paul says. But they reject God and they reject His Holy Spirit. I want to read this scripture right now. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. If you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. This is what the Bible says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. And very clear. As Christians, we want to be holy. We want to be holy in the way and the sense of which the Scriptures tell us to and what God says for us to do. So many people today will claim, well, what, shouldn't we be tolerant? If you love everybody as yourself, shouldn't you just let anybody live any way they want to? Our warning to others is you want eternal life. You must live a holy life committed to God and to His Word. Listen to Revelation. This is our main reading this morning about the church of Thyatira. Again, this is one of the churches there in Asia Minor and the nations there near Ephesus and the trade routes. And Paul listens to them, lists seven of these churches in different cities. Two of them are good. Five of them have problems. And with every one of them, John writes to these churches and he tells them to repent and to turn back, and he's writing the words of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read the words of Christ now. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see here, as in mine, Revelation 2 and 3, almost all read. These are the words of Christ. Listen to what he says to this church. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who his eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So this is the words of God. Here's the depiction of Jesus. And then he says, I know your works. Now listen to this. Jesus says, I know your works, you, your love and faith and service and patience and endurance, that your later works exceed your first. So he's right in this church here, and he says, what you've been doing is now better than what you were doing before, some of your works that you were doing. Remember when we studied Ephesus, the church in the very beginning here, at the beginning of chapter 2, what was wrong with them? They left their first love. They left their first works. This church has kept that up, but they have a problem among them. I'm going to continue reading about that. He says, but I had this against you, that you tolerate. 
Not a word you hear a lot today, tolerate. We as Christians in, in this country should tolerate one another to behave according to their own faith. That does not mean that we tolerate evil. We cannot tolerate evil. We cannot compromise God's standard for right and wrong. We are not going to give up on His plan for marriage. We're going to look at these passages here. Listen to what happens. Verse 20, But I have this against you, to hear Christ say that. How many of us would, would Christ, if He spoke to us personally today, would say, I have this against you? And this is what He says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. I think this is a figurative term referring to this woman by another word, whoever she is. She's misleading the church. And very fitting name for the woman who was the wife of King Ahab who led astray Israel. And it says, who calls herself a prophetess? This woman says she's a prophetess, that she has some revelation, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia. And porneia means extramarital sex. It means fornication. He says, they're seducing them to sin. In the church, there's this woman, a false teacher, seducing them to do this and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So she's pulling them away from Christ. And this is what Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. God is merciful. Christ is merciful. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. In other words, those who are following her, they're going to fall away. They're going to come to judgment and God's judgment. And the scripture says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until now. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, and even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I know that's a long reading, but I want you to listen to some of the details there that stand out to me from this passage. First of all, these are the words of the Son of God to the church of Thyatira. These are words that are from Jesus Christ. Later on, at the very end of the passage, that last verse we just read in verse 29, says these are the words of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is God's revelation. This is put in the Bible for us to learn to live as Christians. We also see this. Jesus recognizes this church had done greater works than the first. He praises them first. He says, you've done these great things, but there's among you a false teacher, someone who's leading you astray, who's leading you into immorality. I think we can apply that today, and we can think more about that, and we will in a moment. Christ will strike the false prophetess who deceives the people to go into this immorality. He will bring about judgment. And Christ gave this woman time to repent, and yet she did not. This is what we learn from the principles from the text. Christ knows the works of each church. 
In fact, it says here, he knows their minds and their hearts. He says, I know your minds and your hearts. And of every person, that should be a warning for us today. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we stand naked before God, that God knows our hearts and everything that we do. He knows what we do in secret. He knows what we think about at night when we put our head down, when we go to sleep. He knows our thoughts in the morning. He knows our hearts. We see this also from the passage that the church must not tolerate sexual immorality. The world today will tell us you can't judge people that homosexuality is okay, transgender this or that is okay. The truth of the matter is that God instituted marriage, one man and one woman. Jesus said that, Matthew 10 and verse 6. He said marriage was between one man and one woman. He also says there, as he quotes from Genesis, that God made them male and female. God made them what they were, each one of each sex. Not that you can change that or alter that. God has made you who you are. And if you follow him, you're going to listen to him. The church cannot tolerate this kind of evil. We must stand against it. We must teach the truth and never compromise. We see this as well. We're facing sin. Christ here says, I gave them time. I gave her, Jezebel, time to repent, and she didn't do it. Last week in our study, we looked at 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, where God says that he is patient with us, long-suffering with us, not wanting that anyone would perish. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, to, for anyone to be condemned, but he wants us all to be saved, and he wants us to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. And we see this. Not only is Christ loving, he's just. And those who rebel against his will, they will receive their due. They will receive justice in this life or the next, and at the judgment. And we need to be prepared. This morning, as we make application from this text, God has set the plan for marriage. He has set it as one man and one woman. It's been that way from the beginning. We see that. We look around. Every one of us in here has come from one man and one woman. And they, our parents, have come from one man and one woman. And our parents, uh, their grandparents, came from one man and one woman. And it goes back to the beginning of time. God's plan, we see it. God's plan was never for one, a man and another man, or a woman and another woman, or a man and multiple women, or a woman and multiple men. All this is an abomination and contrary to his will. God's plan is this. One man, one woman, one life, one exception. That's his plan for marriage. And God does this because he loves us. God instituted marriage. He wanted us to know the intimacy, the love there, to have a foundation of the home for our children to grow up in. This is his will and his love for us, and we need to respect it and uphold it. Churches must not compromise the holiness of marriage. The Bible warns us about women like, or any kind of false prophet like Jezebel. I want you to look at a few of them right here before we begin wrapping up. In Jude chapter 4, Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 have a lot in common. And in Jude 4, Jude talks about this. He says there are ungodly people who are going to creep into the church and they're going to pervert God's grace and his forgiveness. And you hear people today saying, you have God's grace and that you don't have to repent. But that's not what we read today and that's not what the scriptures teach. You have to repent for his forgiveness and his grace. But they pervert God's grace and they change it into sensuality. We also see this. The apostles predicted, according to Jude, that scoffers will come in the last day following their ungodly passions. 
False teachers often have their own sins. They have a desire to make money. They have a desire to take advantage of people to lead others into sexual immorality. And you hear it when you turn on the TV, turn on the television, you look at the internet, you read the news. All these things opposing the church. And then lastly, 2 Peter chapter 2, we see this as well. These false teachers are described as waterless streams. They are enticing the weak with sensual passions of the flesh. And they do it by promising freedom. This is freedom. This is liberty. And it's not. It's bondage to sin. And the Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 7 what it is. In Romans chapter 6, Paul makes it clear. He says, this is an enslavement and you want to live in holiness. So I'll warn you this morning about such false teachers. As a church, we cannot tolerate evil. We must remain holy. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for God's institution of the church, of, the, of marriage, and not compromise it. Garrett read us this passage from Psalm 51 this morning. And the reason that we read Psalm 51 is because these are the words of David after he had committed his sin, when he had fornicated with Bathsheba, and he had killed Uriah. And this is what he did about his sin. He wrote this psalm, and he prayed this to God. And this morning, if you struggle with the same thing, whatever sin it might be, we can turn to God and ask him to cleanse us as well. Psalm 51, 7 through 12, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Store to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When we sin, we need to turn back to God. God, create in me a clean heart. I challenge you this morning to live a holy, pure lives. And let not the world deceive you and pull you away from your faith. Do not compromise Christ's standard of marriage of one man and one woman and restore your marriage if it needs to be restored. And do not divorce. The scriptures and Christ warns us about that. Some people today say, I can't remain married to so-and-so because I don't love them anymore. But the Bible never says you can divorce because you don't love. The Bible tells you to command, it commands you, husbands, love your wives as yourself. It's a command from God to love. It's not something we fall out of. It's something we do because we are committed to Christ. We give an invitation this morning. This morning, if you're struggling in sin, you can come back to Christ. And you can repent. Christ has given you time right now to repent. Revelation 3, 19 and 20, Jesus says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This morning, Christ wants you to come home. If you're struggling with sin this morning, please come forward. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. If you've been living a, part of a life apart from Christ and you have not been baptized into Christ yet, you need to do that. You need to confess your faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Confessing that faith, you need to die to your sins, be buried in the waters of baptism, and rise up into the newness of life. That's how you obey the gospel. Romans chapter 6. This morning you need to obey the gospel. The Spirit and the church encourage you and tell you to come. Please come right now while we stand and while we sing.